Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. We're going to be in Ephesians 2 today. Last week, Brian taught through the first, I think it was 8 to 10 verses, and he made these three points. Grace moves us from arrogance to humility. Pride is our greatest enemy. Humility is our greatest friend. And grace gives us greater purpose. So these are the things that he pulled out of those first few few verses. Today, we are going to be focusing on a few verses starting in verse 11, but it's kind of a continuation of what Brian was preaching on last week. So we're going to start reading in verse 8. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. We got like 20 seconds to get there and find it, and then we'll start reading it. Somebody found it on the big screen. There we go. I'm going to start it. So verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that anyone may boast. So, what is, what is salvation? Salvation is a, a gift. Way to go, A+. plus. Who gives the gift? God gives us this gift of salvation. You guys are very good at this. Is this something we can earn? No. no. It, it's really cool because Paul, anytime he's talking about grace and salvation, he never says anything like, you're saved by grace because you were really good or because you went to church a lot or because you could pray really well, or because you were really great at reading the Bible. Our salvation from God doesn't really have anything to do with us or, or what we do, and it has everything to do with God just being awesome and giving it to us. Um, if we keep reading into verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God saves us, and then through Jesus, we become his workmanship, or his like work in progress to do good stuff. And this good stuff, he's already planned for us. It's really simple. Sometimes we read things in the Bible like this, and it's very scriptural, you know? It's, this, is, this is just like really plain and, and really, really simple. So God makes us his workmanship, gives us some good stuff to do. He prepares the good stuff for us to do it. And then now we're in verse 11, and it says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you at that time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. So Paul does this thing a lot in, in the letters that he writes to churches. It's where he, he starts off by saying something, and then he sets it up by saying, you were this, and now you're this. Or he'll start to make an argument or teach you something, and it's because he's setting you up for a point that he wants to make. So in verse 8, Paul is talking about God freely giving us a gift of salvation that we can't earn. We can't do anything right. 
to get it. We can't do something wrong to the point where God's not going to offer it to us. But then in verse 11 and 12, he's reminding us that we weren't always under this grace of salvation that God gives us. He says, remember that you used to be separated from Christ. He says, therefore, in verse 11, he says, therefore. So he says, you're saved by grace. It's a free gift. Therefore, or so, remember that you didn't always have that. So he's setting us up. Verse 12, he tells us to remember that we were without Christ. We were excluded from the body of God's people, strangers to God's promises and covenants, and without hope. And so what, what in the world is Paul getting at? He's, he's saying, hey guys, God is really rad, and he saved you, but don't forget about when you had no hope, and you were far from God, and life sucked real bad. Like, thanks, Paul. <laughs> I don't want to remember those times because it's better now. But Paul isn't telling us to reminisce about old times or to relive old glory days. He's telling us to remember what God saved us from. So this reminded me when I was reading it of the story of the Exodus in the Old Testament. So if you remember the story, there were the Hebrews, right? And then they went into slavery in Egypt for 400 years. Then Moses comes, and Moses and Pharaoh have the argument, and the whole let my people go thing, and then plagues start happening. And it freaks the Pharaoh out, and eventually he lets the Hebrews leave. God's doing all sorts of miracles during this. The plagues are happening. God splits the Red Sea in half so they can escape from the Egyptian army. And then they're in the desert. And God says, hey, go that way in the desert, and eventually you're going to get to a promised land. So he's saving them from slavery, promising them their own land. It's really cool in the story because during the day in the middle of the desert, there's this miraculous cloud that's leading them, showing them where to go. And at night, there's this big pillar of fire. Who knows what the heck that is? But this miraculous thing that God's doing, he's feeding them. He's providing their needs. And then not long after they leave Egypt, they uh, start complaining. Some of them start building idols to worship. Some of them say it was way better when we were in Egypt. It was better as slaves because at least we had a bed to sleep in and somewhere to live. Almost as if they forgot all of the miraculous things that God was doing at that moment and for the months before, splitting the Red Sea and all the plagues that happened. So they took their eyes off of where God was bringing them from and where he was taking them to. And so sometimes when we think about the past, we can do that. So rather than looking at, okay, we were slaves and God brought us out of that, we think, oh, but when I was a slave, I had a bed. Or before Jesus saved me and I didn't feel bad about partying or whatever the sins are that I did, like that was, that was easier or that was more fun. And so when Paul is telling us to remember the past, he's not saying remember the past as the good old glory days. He's saying, just like, hey, with the, ex, with the Hebrews in the Exodus, like, the past was without God and without Jesus, and we were slaves to something. And now God's bringing us out of that. 
So he's trying to make us remember what God has done in our lives and what God's doing in our lives. And it's, it's interesting while he's making this point, he's making a point that we've all had a time in our past where we were without Christ, where we were far from God. This was really important for the Ephesians because it was a church that was made up of a lot of Jewish people and non-Jewish people, or the Gentiles. Two, two different groups. It was, it's kind of like uh, liberals and conservatives, right? Like it's, very, it's a religious thing there, but just like liberals, extreme liberals and extreme conservatives don't get along well. This was the dynamic between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews were extremely pious and religious, and the Gentiles weren't. They were just regular old people that didn't do religious stuff, you know? So the Jews would be judgy towards the Gentiles, and the Gentiles, I imagine, were more blue-collar and would want to beat up the Jews. And so this is what Paul's dealing with. He, he's trying to teach this church in Ephesus something. And so he starts by saying, hey, your salvation was a gift from God. You didn't earn it. Also remember that whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, not too long ago, you didn't have Jesus at all. So he's reminding both of these groups that they have the same story. It's not, I grew up as a Jew, or I grew up as a Gentile, or I'm good at these religious things, or I don't do any religious things. Their, their stories, our story, is that we were far from Christ, and because of God's gift of salvation, we're brought near to him. That's the story. Not, we're good at religious things, or we're bad at religious things or I'm a good Christian, or you're a bad Christian, or our story is that we didn't have Jesus, and now we have Jesus, and it's better. So Paul is trying to convince the Jews and the Gentiles, you guys have the same story, because they're butting heads over everything. He says, you have no, no hope, but Jesus gives you hope, and you had no peace, and now Jesus is your peace. If you check it out in verse 13, it says, But now Christ Jesus, who you once were far off from, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in this flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So Paul's saying to religious Jews and non-religious Gentiles, Hey guys, stop being dummies. You guys have the same background. You were far from God, but through Jesus, you have been brought near to him. You were without hope, and now you have hope. You were without peace, now you have peace. You used to have no salvation, now God's given it to both groups freely. You're the same people. You have the same story. It's interesting when he says in verse 14 that Jesus is our peace. I don't think I was... I was probably 30 before I realized when I read peace in the Bible, it's not like this romanticized, just spiritual word. Like peace is a literal thing. If you have peace, if you have peace between people, it means everything's cool. Everything is good. You're not fighting. You're not arguing. There's not contention. So when Paul says that Jesus is our peace, I don't think he's making like this abstract philosophical, philosophical statement. I think what he's saying is Jesus is our peace as in literal peace, like to get along and be nice to each other. 
here's one of the ways that Jesus is our peace. If you have Jesus in you, you have be nice to people in you. Paul is taking time right here to address hostility between different groups of people in his church. He's saying, y'all, get it together. Stop acting like Jews and Gentiles and jerks and just be one body. The body of Christ, unified together, one body. Jesus told a lot of parables about similar things. One of them was the parable of the workers, where this guy owned a vineyard, and he hired a bunch of people to come work his vineyard one day, and later on in the day, he went and hired some other guys. And so you have some, some people, some handful of workers that worked all day, and then you've got a handful of workers that were just there for the last few hours of the day. And then the vineyard owner pays all of them the same. And the people who were working there all day were really upset because they felt entitled to or like they deserved more money than the other guys that were only there for a few hours. Also, the story of the prodigal son. You have two sons. One takes his, his inheritance from his dad early. He runs off. He squanders it, makes a mess of his life, wrecks everything, and then he comes home. And his father welcomes him back and throws a big party, and he's, he doesn't come back as a, a lesser person. He comes back as the father's son, and he still have, has a place in the household. And then his brother, the one that stayed there, that didn't leave and squander everything, is unhappy with it. And he feels like he's more deserving of being the son now. And the other guy doesn't even deserve to be a son anymore. So you have another situation where because one person did the right thing or did it longer, he feels entitled, like he deserves more of something. And this was the dynamic between the Jews and the Gentiles in Ephesians. The Jews were super religious, and they had been religious since Abraham, thousands of years. And the Gentiles were not religious at all. This is interesting because the Gentiles thought that the Jews were extremely judgmental and jerks. There's, I mean, there's a ton of words that I could say that the Gentiles thought about the Jews, but Brian would never let me talk at church anymore. So I will not say those words, but they did not get along. And we don't really have a Jew and Gentile dynamic in our churches, especially today in America, but we have a lot of entitled and pious Christians. And a lot of times we as Christians treat other people really poorly. I have a, I have a handful of non-Christian friends and a bunch of guys that I work with that, that don't believe in Jesus. They don't go to church or anything. And they, uh, kind of the general consensus, consensus, consensus between all of them is that Christians are buttheads. They're not nice. People say that we're really bad tippers at restaurants that we're judgmental, that we marginalize people. If we learn anything from these first few verses that Paul's saying here, it's that as a Christian, it is more important to be kind and peaceable and decent than any sort of religious hoops that we can jump through. It's more important to display 
the peace that we have in Jesus, because he's our peace, than it is to be able to say that I do my, I do my Christian devotions every day. Devotions are good. Reading your Bible is good. Praying a lot is good. But those things aren't worth anything if you're not showing people the peace of Jesus. If we're saved by grace and we can't show other people the grace of Jesus, then we're just like the Jews who thought we were better than the Gentiles because we were good at religious stuff. In verse 15, it says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So check it out. This is a really important point. God doesn't abolish his law. He doesn't abolish his commandments. I've heard some wonky preacher guys on the radio talk about how the, the Old Testament were, it was for the Hebrews and the Jews, and the New Testament is more for us. Or the commandments and the law, we don't need them anymore. We have a new covenant in Jesus, and that's all we need. Pay, pay really close attention to this. He abolishes the expression of his law through ordinances. Let me read it one more time. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. So what's Paul saying? The law in the Old Testament is still valid. God's commandments, still valid. The Old Testament, the whole thing, still valid for us. The religious rules that we give ourselves to try to keep the law and the commandments, that's what God is abolishing. That's what Jesus came and did away with. So the law, the covenants in the Old Testament, all of that stuff is valid and has something to do with our relationship with God and shaping what we believe in God. But the, the, the rules, the little Christian-y things that we put on ourselves to prove that we're good moral Christians as if we could earn salvation from God if we do it well enough, those things are what Jesus abolished. That, that makes sense? The, we need the Old Testament. We need the law. We need the commandments. All of that stuff is good. God didn't do away with that. But the rules that we made for ourselves out of those things to try to keep them all perfectly and earn our way into some right favor with God, that's what Jesus is abolishing. And one of the reasons that he's doing away with those things is to make peace and reconcile us with God. So we've had a few verses so far that talk about the hostility between Jews and Gentiles. So when Jesus is our peace, when Paul is saying here, hey, we need to do away with the ordinances that we slap on ourselves and other people, he's doing that because he wants to make peace and reconcile us to God and us to each other. And not just us, but he wants to reconcile you and your mom and your grandma and your sister's baby daddy and everybody, the goal is to be reconciled to God and live peaceably with each other. One thing that was hard for me when I was, uh, I was younger and becoming a more seasoned Christian, I guess, is that uh, uh, 
people tend to make these lanes of reconciliation, right? Like there's a, there's a slow lane, a medium slow lane, a middle lane, and a fast lane, right? And if you don't drink, if you don't smoke, you're like middle to fast lane. You're doing pretty good. If you don't drink smoke or drink coffee, you're in the fast lane and you're really moral and you're really good and you're doing great. So it's like we had these fast tracks or these fast lanes or slow lanes that helped us in our reconciliation with God. It's, it's not like that at all. Like there's not a, there's not a smoking lane to your rec- reconciliation. There's not a, an alcoholic lane. There's not a gay lane. There's one lane and that's Jesus. And that's how we are reconciled to God. Regardless of your bad habits or addictions or mistakes or how good you are at being good and moral. The only lane to being reconciled to God is Jesus. And the stipulation with you taking that lane of Jesus to be reconciled to God is that Jesus has to become your peace. And not just your peace in the spiritual, ethereal sense, but literally your peace, to be peaceable with other people, to have peace with yourself and between you and God. We were all without God. Paul says we were all without hope, both the Jew and the Gentile and the modern American Christian. It's all our story that we didn't have Jesus, and now we have Jesus. And God in his graciousness gives us a gift of salvation that we don't deserve and we can't earn, and it's not even a good deal for God. But he does it anyways. When he saves us, something amazing happens, and that is back in verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So remember we said, all right, God gives us salvation, and then he creates us into somebody to do some good stuff, right? What good stuff? I always thought like when I read good works like that in the Bible, it was like, all right, healing the sick, raising the dead, maybe starting a huge church, maybe, I don't know, being a preacher on TV or whatever, fill in the blank, you know, like the big good works that everybody notices. I don't think so. I think that when we read verses like that, where it says that God's creating us into something to do these good works, which he prepared us to do, I think those good works are when we have opportunities to be kind and nice and decent and forgive the people around us for offending us, to serve people, and not just a church to put out chairs, but like your neighbor, even the one on the other side that you don't like. We are supposed to be people who do good stuff for the people around us. And that doesn't make us saved, but you're supposed to do that if you're saved because that's what God is making you into. He's creating you into someone who does the good work that he's already prepared. If somebody's hot and obviously thirsty, get them a water. You know what that counts as? That's good stuff. Good job. 
That's a situation where God has prepared something good for you to do. And as Christians, our goal isn't to blast air one super loud in our car so everybody hears us listening to Christian music. It's to show other people what Jesus' peace and the gift of salvation through grace looks like. That's by being peaceful, peaceable, and gracious to the people around us. The worship team is going to come up, and as they do, I want to I want to point out the two main points that Paul is making here in Ephesians two. There's only two types of people. There are those with Jesus and people that are without Jesus, regardless of how religious or unreligious or good or bad or moral or immoral you are, either you have been saved by grace through Jesus Christ or you haven't yet. And so since there's only those two groups, We as Christians don't get to judge anybody else because we used to be in one of the other groups. We have the same story as everybody else. We used to not have Jesus, and now we have Jesus. Some people don't have Jesus yet. So our jobs as Christians is to be good to those people so they see the peace and the grace of Jesus. And since we're all far from God before and now brought near to him, that should be evident in the way that we're unified as a body. So this week, kind of some homework for Access Church is to look for good stuff to do all around you, easy stuff, to share peace and hope and grace and forgiveness and all the things that we talk about, you know, that sound very poetic in church. We got to do that stuff. Invite people to church with you. Share your stuff if you know somebody's in need. Pray for other people. All the easy stuff. When it says that God has prepared these good works for us to do beforehand, I don't think he's up there doing math, trying to make it hard for us, you know? I think he gives us a lot of really easy, simple opportunities to share him with other people so that not only can we be reconciled to God, but the people around us are also. So let's pray. Jesus, you're the best. And you're so good to us. We're so thankful that you've offered salvation to us, that you've, you've reconciled us to yourself, and that you're teaching us to reconcile with other people and to be decent and peaceable and gracious and to love the people around us. So God, I pray this morning, if we have been judgmental Christians, if we've looked at other Christians negatively because they're not as religious as at us or as us, or we look at people who aren't Christians and we judge them because they're not as good or religious as, as us because we're coming to church or any of that stuff, God, I pray that you would tell us and you would help us to change our hearts. God, that we would be people who show other people what you're like and serve and help and love the people around us. But I pray that we would be the types of Christians that give Christians a really good name because we show people what you are like. 
not what religious ordinances and things like that are like. God, you're the best. When we sing to you right now, we want you to be happy. We want you to be stoked on what we're saying and what we're singing because we love you and because we're thankful for what you've done. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go to accesschurch.com.